Well, well, well. It's been a while, hasn't it? My fictional friends. It's me, Connor Cooper. Your host of the Wrestling With Fiction podcast. Now I know what you're thinking. You're expecting some light-hearted skit about how Yakuza is so weird and wacky, lol. That's not me. Not today. Because you know what today is? It's a it's a very important day. In fact, today is It's Friday night, baby! It's a good day, everyone! We're talking about Yakuza! Why? Because it's the chess I can finally play Friday flipping night! And I know what you're thinking, Friday night on a Saturday? What is wrong with you? Nothing is wrong with me! Because Monday should be playing Friday night, Tuesday should be playing Friday night, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, freaking Saturday again should play Friday freaking night every single goddamn day! Look what we've got in the corner for this celebration! We've got a chicken! We've got Michael! Uh... Miracle Johnson! We, we've even got Stephen spinning! And you know how they all connect? Because they're all in goddamn Yakuza! God bless Yakuza Zero for blessing me with such weird memes! Weird and beautiful music! And goddamn Nishikiyama! Now all I gotta do is just play Yakuza 1! Uh, where's everyone going? I mean, does anyone know where Nishikiyama is? Like, is that where everyone's going? Uh, the ending of Zero pretty much said he, he climbed up the Tojo clan. That's, that's all I know. Guys? Maybe I should just play Kiwami. One week later. Why does everybody I like die? Why? Nishki! Gentlemen and lady gentlemen, my fictional friends, I am indeed still mourning on this week's episode of the Wrestling With Fiction podcast, as this week I pitch storylines from the good, to the bad, to the damn right insane, about my boy, Akira Nishikiyama, the man who, by many circumstances, I can't believe what happened, I'm gonna say this right now, spoilers! Yakuza 0 and 1 when we get into all of this but I'm very sad thinking about this so I want to do my boy justice and I hope that beginning shows it because he's easily my favorite character from 0 and 1 and as weird as that is to say 
and I just, I can't wait to do this. So, if you'll indulge me, let's get straight into it, shall we? So yes, Akira Nishikiyama, appearing from what I'm aware of in two games, Yakuza 0 and Yakuza 1, we watch as Nishiki has his, like, incredible journey from being this kind of very low-ranking member of the Yakuza to a high-ranking patriarch with some questionable means, if you've played the games, through a, a lot of situations that, you, as you go through Kiwami, you just feel bad for the guy. Like, as we, as I did mention spoilers, this is the time where you can click off if you want to go play the games. Uh, his sister dies, and uh, he, he goes through this whole mental crisis about him feeling like he's useless, and... Uh, he puts in all of this effort to try and help his sister, only for it to mean nothing because the guy just took the money anyways. And then he was gonna go commit suicide, but he didn't, and he killed the guy. And he became power hungry, mad for power, whilst Kiryu was in prison for 10 years. Did I mention that Kiryu was in prison for 10 years? Waka waka! Ah! Oh. <laughs> How can you not feel bad for this man? And then he's the final villain of Yakuza 1, and with all the Kiwami stuff added in, and then the scenes in Yakuza 0. Uh, the freaking when he's pointing a gun at Kiryu. There's, there's very few moments in video games that have made me stop for a second and just sit, sit and stop talking for an hour and, and question life. And that, that was with Nishiki. I, I legitimately cried at that scene. And I, I feel it's necessary that I, I I put him in a happier scenario, you know? So that's what we're doing this week. We're, we're asking if Nishikiyama can work in the wrestling business. And quite frankly, you'll see in the storylines I'm pitching, I'm very biased. But I also think he has a very high possibility to do really well. So going on from that. We start the same that way, the same the way, Jesus. <laughs> I'm thinking of the way from NXT. We start the same way that we do for any other episode of this podcast, and it's with a fantastic little segment I like to call the tagline. If this is your first time listening to this podcast and you're wondering, what on earth is the tagline? The tagline is basically my 30-word summary explaining what I plan to do with the wrestler or fictional character of the week. Think of it like a sort of 30 sec, not 30 seconds, 30 word or less summary of what you'd see on Netflix when you're just scrolling through the channels or Crunchyroll because WWE now has a thing for Crunchyroll and I'm going to keep mentioning it until it's out. So <laughs> without further ado, I believe it's time for me to ask the editor of this podcast, by the way, that's myself, to do a little thing, it's very simple, and that is to cue the music, future me! Oh, wait, 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 oh, sorry. Sorry, I, I put on the wrong track. I, I, I don't think that track's gonna do us justice for this week, so, uh, just give me a second here. Ah, here we go.
Ah, that feels good, doesn't it? Okay, so... First of all, I want to give Mushki a goddamn round of applause because, by God, he already has a moveset. Thank the goddamn Lord. First of all, unlike Among Us, where I had to come up with a moveset. Ash Ketchum? Sorry, Pokemon trainer? You had to use flipping Pokemon to get him an actual moveset. Santa? You just had to build the guy from the goddamn ground up. Mishki? Oh! Oh my god, I, I researched his stuff with like his final boss fight with Kiryu, his stuff against Majima in Zero, his tag match stuff with Kiryu near the end of Zero. By god, he has a freaking takedowns, power bombs, face busters, knee strikes, roundhouse kicks, straight rights, lariats, he has a moveset! Oh my god, this makes it so much easier. But now that we've got the basic moveset stuff out of the way, let's talk about character. Are we going with Zero Nishiki? Are we going to go with Kawami Nishiki? Well, I think you kind of need a combination of in-between. Because if we're being real here, Nishiki as a character, he's, he's kind of fueled by both. And you kind of need both bits of context to make him work in the world of wrestling. That he's has this constant need and desire for love. Keep in mind, all his actions in Kiwami were all kind of fueled by a sense of love and loss. Look at, like, the whole thing with Kiryu being sent to prison, constantly being compared to him. Uh, the stuff with Yumi and that weird love triangle. There's, a lot of it is fueled by love and loss, which is actually kind of what fuels his eventual heel turn, in which he goes to try and take over the entire Tojo clan. So... For the sake of this, my tagline for this week for Nishikiyama is that desiring to climb the ranks of the Tojo clan, a young Yakuza fueled by love and loss attempts to climb the squared circle to achieve the dreams he never thought possible. Because at the core of even Zero and One, it was all kind of about climbing the Yakuza ranks even to begin with. It's just the motivations behind it got a lot more clouded as life progressed and things got gradually worse, such as the eventual death of his sister that led him into a whole spiral of sadness that still makes me really sad, and his own timely death. So you kind of need a little bit of everything involving that, but because this is wrestling and it is fiction, we can, we can play off these things because wrestling characters, they always constantly turn and we have an organic reason for Nishiki to turn face or heel. So with that in mind, if you believe you've got a much better tagline that you can summarize for it, please tell me on Twitter at Connor the Cooper. Please tell me on Instagram at Wrestling With Fiction. I'd love your suggestions. And I think it's about time that we get to the very first picture this week. And let me tell you, straight away, this one is going to be using a lot of Nishiki's traits. Because he's going to be back to his old Yakuza Zero days, where he was nothing but a young buck. Now isn't this a storyline that's a little too sweet? Yes, it is indeed the young bucks. Why the Young Bucks? Why on earth are we starting with a tag team? That that doesn't make any sense with Nishiki. It's not like he doesn't have a brother or anything. Oh, but he does. Ikiryu! 
Yes! This... I'm, I'm just gonna tell you the story right now. The basis of it is that I just want another tag team moment with Kiryu and Nishiki that I wish we got in Kiwami because of the whole thing with Jingu and them having their thing. You know, you got that little brief little team up at the end where Nishiki saves Kiryu from Jingu. I, I, I want that tag team friendship, goddammit. And what better feud idea would it be two brother teams against each other for the AEW tag team titles? Yes, that's what we're doing. So, how does this all come about? Well, pretty much. Guess what has a forbidden door in Japan now? That's right, AEW people. So, in this scenario, Nishiki is, you know, he's just handling his business as one of the head patriarchs, and the, the, he's trying to find that, you know, that 10 billion yen. That is somewhere, God knows where, and in the middle of that, he needs to... Well, make some investigations. One of them leading him to AEW. Because guess what? Wrestling makes a goddamn lot of money and it's broadcast all around the world. If there's any place that will know where the 10 billion yen is, it's a place like All Elite Wrestling. So Nishiki comes in there with his, you know, slicked back hair, his white suit, because we're going with Kawami Nishiki for this. And... One of the first things that kind of comes in is that, you know, there's a bit of a power struggle immediately because the Young Bucks are EVPs. Nishiki is this almost like head patriarch trying to take over and become the chairman of the Tojo clan. What is going on here? And the Bucks are kind of just when Nishiki first enters, oh, they're very questionable of him, you know? Like in storyline, they've only just recently turned heel. And they're basically trying to reaffirm their status as the top tag team. And with it, uh, yeah, Nishiki, uh, he does well against one of them, but gets, you know, super kicked by the other. He tries to have another goon help him out, and it doesn't quite work out. Nishiki doesn't get pinned in this scenario, because guess what? You have a goon there, there's no point for Nishiki to get pinned, and... We all know that we're building to a bit of a story where, say it with me now, <clears throat> How will these people coexist? That being, you know, Nishiki and Kiryu, who currently, in the point of this story, are not together, because I don't know if you've played through Kiwami, chances are if you listen to spoilers you know, but in case you didn't, Kiryu is kind of just running around trying to figure out where everything is, trying to figure out who Mizuki is, and how that's related to Haruka, and da 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 da. But we do get, in the actual game, an interaction between Nishiki and Kiryu, where, you know, th they're on pretty thin ice at this point. Uh, Kiryu knows that Nishiki shot Kazuma. Ah, that's kinda dicey. And, you know, it's pretty bad. But guess what Nishiki says in that dialogue, and I'm gonna quote it here, I kinda wish that we could still work together like old times. Well, this is the moment, because they both have a neutral goal, which would be try to find that 10 million yen and basically solve the mystery of this thing. And so with it, Nishiki pretty much calls Kiryu, because of course he'd have his number for this type of situation, trying to negotiate it, because connections through Reina. 
And it's basically a discussion that you might be asking, why is Kiryu joining up with Nishiki at this point? Would that make any sense? Well, he still relatively still believes he can see the good in Nishiki. Even at the end of the game, it's a whole thing where Kiryu is like, you don't have to do this. All you have to do is move on from this point. It's been 10 years, and I get it's been hard for you, but so it has for me. We we can move on from this. So I think there's still a little bit of good in Kiryu, the heart of gold. He still wants to listen to Nishiki. Because he, he did, he freaking took a bullet for him. He spent 10 years in prison. So this is the kind of little mini work together in AEW. Where because Nishiki wasn't able to beat the Young Bucks first. And now he's with a new tag team partner. He, they have to go up through the ranks a bit. Which, you know, we get a little bring back from Yakuza 0. And that little cool fight sequence. Which, by the way, if their finish is not that like back suplex face buster combination that Nishiki has. And if you haven't seen it, it's basically like he picks him up for a sort of like part of a face buster and then just throws it into Kirio's like jumping knee. If that's not a finish, I don't know what is for a tag team, okay? So that's pretty much like how they start to pick up wins against guys like Varsity Blondes, uh... Trying to think of random tag teams. Something with Fuego. Because Fuego always seems to be in random tag teams. Fuego. You know, Ethan Page and Scorpio Sky. I know you maybe don't want to bury them, but I get it. You kind of need people for this story. And it eventually builds to a tag team title match. Because we all know in wrestling logic, if you have a belt, it means that you have power for some reason. But it is what it is. So, basically... There's a negotiation between Nishikiyama, Kiryu, and the Young Bucks, where it's that if they win, they get additional information on the 10 million yen plot. And in the middle of that, you know, you get some bickering between Kiryu and Nishiki with the differences between Haruka. You know, say it with me now. How can they coexist? Stuff. And the Young Bucks are basically cutting this promo saying that, Hey, you're brothers by bond. We're brothers by blood. You guys have got no chemistry. We've seen your matches. You're just as chaotic as each other. Do, do you two even see yourselves as brothers anymore? And of course, Kiryu looks at it and says, Yes, Nishiki. You know, he's kind of been fallen off the deep end by this point in the story of, like, Yakuza Kawami. So, he, he doesn't say anything. And Nishiki just kind of... Not Nishiki. Kiryu just kind of looks away, kind of sad. You know, sad Kiryu. He's trying his best. He's trying his best, trying to take care of a nine-year-old who's extremely mature. And it builds to the eventual big pay-per-view... It's Kiryu and Nishiki versus the Young Bucks, in which, guess what? Kiryu and Nishiki, they don't come out together because they don't feel like a real tag team or brotherhood. And they're both in their full attires for the first bit. Emphasis on the first bit of this match, because uh, you have Nishiki getting beat up a lot by Matt and Nick Jackson in their tag team maneuvers, and Kiryu's trying to get in, you know, because he's all hot-headed. He just wants to do something about it. But the referee stops him. And 
you know, Kiryu being a man of pride, he sticks to the rules, but he's he's frustrated about it, you know? Big baby face Kiryu right over here. The young bucks, they just start beating up on Nishiki. And it gets to a point where Nishiki swallows his pride for a bit. He tags in Kiryu. Kiryu goes wild. And there's a bit where he calls for Nishiki. And at this point, Nishiki, for some reason, just takes off his, like, up top part of the suit. You know how they're able to just suddenly just strip away all of their suits, kind of like Cesaro? That's what happens, and you get the cool little bit where they're together, their full tattoos on, they hit their finish, you know, and maybe there's a little brief little hug like there's gonna be something together, but of course it doesn't quite work out. They win the tag titles, they get their information, and then they go off on their separate ways, because no matter how much they are still brothers in their heart, in reality... They're the furthest that they can be. Yeah, that's kind of <laughs> a basic scenario. Just kind of a, you know, brief hero and villain team up. You know, you, you gotta love that in your little bit of, like, wrestling. You know, they're sometimes the most, like, fun teams. Like, I think back to, like, Roman Reigns and Bray Wyatt for that one, like, Raw After Mania where you get the spot of, like, Bray Wyatt pointing at, I think it was Sheamus, and Roman comes in with a spear. You can have that kind of, like, rapport with Kiryu and Nishiki. The Young Bucks are pretty good foils in that, because, uh, I don't know, the Young Bucks are brothers who will do literally anything for each other. Like, you can't see them in a singles-run role, unlike, you know, Kiryu and Nishiki at that point in Kiwami, where they're kind of like looking for the 10 million yen. It's a it's a really cool like angle that I think you could do for it in this kind of like fictional scenario that kind of plays off the characters pretty well. It plays off Kiryu's honor because of course he'd follow the rules in a tag team match and not really cheat, and Nishiki at this point is bloody ruthless. And you can harken back to some of the old stuff in Zero. Uh, you know, have a fun little title change that kind of adds a little bit more intrigue to the tag division. You know, get a build-up of a new tag team, because AEW, you know, it's not like they don't have enough tag teams in this kind of fictional scenario. Yeah, I think it'd be quite fun. So with that in mind, I think I should get to my very next pitch. And I should tell you immediately that, you know, we're staying in AEW for a bit longer. And we're going to get to the man who I think is the closest that any wrestler has come up to this point that hasn't been featured in a Yakuza game. I'm looking at you, Tetsuya Naito. That could be a quite literally the human equivalent of a Yakuza character. And I should tell you right now that, you know, he's coming with his own little battle cry. My god, it's Kenny Omega! Yes, indeed, it is Kenny Omega, and that's the main one that I'm very much looking forward to. If it did in Endeavor, or indeed happen, Endeavor. I I'm thinking of My Hero Academia for some reason. Okay, so, Kenny Omega. He's, he's the closest to anyone currently in wrestling right now, barring people who have already been in Yakuza. So, I have not played Yakuza 6. But I do know that Okada, Hiroshi Tanahashi, 
I think Tenzei Koi and Naito are in it. I'm excluding them for these pitches. I should have mentioned that way earlier, but I didn't. But yes, Kenny's in this one. Because let's face it, alright? Week to week, he's slowly becoming a Yakuza character. It, it started off small with the big, brash, anime-style introduction saying how great he is to, you know, the dancing girls with the sweepers and then him winning the title, him gradually wearing more fancier clothes with, like, floral patterns. Sound familiar to someone like Nishiki who wears random stuff? Added in with the fact that now he's wearing constantly suits. He's, like, the only one in that group wearing suit. Everyone else is just kind of, like, wearing weird, bougie clothes. Kenny is one step away from dressing like goddamn Majima. If I see this man coming out with a leopard print jacket, this man is basically gonna be Majima because he's already losing his mind. <laughs> it's, it's already kind of destiny and it kind of fits because Nishiki had a boss fight against Majima, which was very fun. It scared me because I was doing a bunch of chapters near the end of the game, but that's not beside the point. Basically, this feud is gang flippin' warfare because, you know what? It's a, it's a mixture of Yakuza and wrestling. We gotta have, at some point, a piece of gang warfare. So, how does this all start? Well, it starts how you debut a lot of talent. It's through a series of video packages. And it's, it's the video packages of basically, just all those extra cutscenes we got in Kiwami pretty much. Just, you know, spliced down a little bit just to get the highlights. You know, the whole thing about like Nishiki being put in charge of something and being compared to Kiryu and then him kind of like driving into madness how everyone is doubting him. And like these keep on being shown for no apparent reason on AEW television as Kenny's having these, you know, big backstage interviews or just talking with his faction. And it all builds to eventually where it's all interrupted by this video package saying that they're coming to take over. AEW and Kenny, you know, he's an EVP. He has all the power. He he has like multiple world championships. He has connections across the entire place. Another thing connecting him to Majima, because he's goddamn everywhere right now. He is really the human equivalent of Majima everywhere. <laughs> but continuing on with this basic idea, you get the classic little bit of like a stare down when Nishiki finally debuts. He doesn't come in to wrestle. He just makes a demand saying that he wants the AEW World Championship. Very simple, very direct. No massive like, I'm going to kill you with guns. Just saying that he's going to take it by force if he has to. And that's how this feud basically begins. Now. Kenny, he doesn't really take it seriously at first. What, this guy in a big white flipping suit is going to threaten him? For what? He hasn't done anything. Is he really a wrestler? What the hell can he do? And in very Kenny Omega fashion for his world title run, he's going to get beat up pretty badly by Nishiki who just walks in and hits a knee strike straight to the chin of Kenny Omega because... Thank God we have these moves, so it's almost like he's imitating the V-Trigger, almost mocking him to an extent. And of course, the good brothers try and run down, so do the young bucks, but they're quickly outnumbered by a series of Nishiki's goons, because while we don't really have any main specific members who 
are particularly memorable for me, probably because I tried to erase the memory of some of those boss fights in Kiwami, that it's probably a significant more amount than what Kenny has. So you, you got this war of people who are very good against numbers. You love a bit of the numbers game in pro wrestling. So that's what we got here. We cut to a few weeks later. Nishiki is making his demands met that he wants a match against Kenny Omega. Kenny Omega, of course, refuses because what has he got over them? You need to earn some wins, buddy. You don't just face the final boss instantly. And Nishiki just resorts saying that I am the final boss. <laughs> because... That's basically his goal to begin with, and if we're going to apply it to pro wrestling, is to be the top guy, climb the top of the ranks of the Tojo clan. So, from this point forward, yeah, Kenny, he is basically getting interrupted in nearly every single goddamn match, including the Bullet Club and the Young Bucks themselves. They are having their matches, but... Every time it seems like they're about to win, they get DQ'd by members of the Nishiyama family. They just won't allow them to win to a point where Kenny is just completely sick of it. And so he arranges a, you know, a, a, a treaty of sorts to try and speak to Nishiyama to get him to just stop interfering in all of his matches because he is the best in the world. And honestly, if he can't really prove it, People are just going to suddenly get in line and get a shot at him, which he really shouldn't be having. Because by having these DQ finishes that are giving other people wins, you're basically just establishing, oh yeah, the champion's pretty weak. Which is not really what you want from Kenny Omega, who is described as, in his own character, a belt collector, a god of pro wrestling, and he's not really being able to show it. So in this, guess what? He gives Nishikiyama a world title match because this ain't gonna end between them unless something is resolved. And in this, Nishiki gets what he wants by force, you know, forcing potential injuries to Don Callis, the Young Bucks, basically people that Kenny cares about. And, you know, there are points where Kenny doesn't really care until, you know, they start getting closer to him. He realizes he doesn't have any numbers anymore. Because as we've seen with the Michael Nakazawa thing, he's willing to let people get injured. But if it leads to him getting injured, yeah, he'll give them the match. Whatever it is. So, that's how we get our world title match. Nishikiyama versus Kenny Omega. It is a gang warfare match. What is a gang warfare match, you may ask? is pretty much anything goes, it's false count anywhere, in which, you know, you have all the members of your group there, who can also support you, because it is false count anywhere, where it's just all the Nishikihama family, which is like several hundred people, and like, the BC, because that just sounds really fun to have, like, a, <laughs> I'm, I'm imagining like, the Young Bucks, the club, not the club, the Good Brothers, and Kenny Omega, almost kind of like Dynasty Warriors style, just taking on like a series of goons. Because like Kenny Omega likes Yakuza. I'm pretty sure he's mentioned it on Twitter before. So like I, I could just imagine him doing like V triggers across to like so many people, and it's almost like he's getting like three or four people at once. You got the Bucks like doing super kicks, everything, until we finally get to Kenny and Nishikiyama 
face to face. And, like, they're both in their suit. They strip them off. They go for a brawl. <laughs> and, like, you get the power bomb from Nishikiyama hitting him through a table. You get Kenny Omega hitting a V-trigger through uh, the guardrail. And all these, like, other random spots, you know. Maybe you get a takedown from Nishiki doing a little bit of a ground and pound. Kind of like the stuff with, like, the Kiryu final boss fight. And... Ah, it's so weird and random, but I love the idea of, like, Nishiki applying the stuff from Kiwami, in which he's having, like, this whole hostile takeover, but applying it to wrestling, where everything is just kind of in complete chaos, because that's sometimes, like, some of the best parts of wrestling, or, like, when everything, you can't tell what the hell is going on, but a lot of stuff is happening. Like, think back to, like, Arcade Anarchy is a recent example. Or, you know, just the Attitude Era in general. Like, I, I'm not the biggest fan of Attitude Era, but one of the things that you can say for, like, its merit is that it encouraged, like, this feeling of, like, expect the unexpected. And that's what I think you can get with this type of idea, is just the character of Nishiki just going off on a complete rampage you know, surprising everyone and almost kind of like mocking Kenny with like knee strikes. In which, by the way, in his thing with Kiryu, he can like hop off from one to another, which is a whole other thing. That seems kind of neat to add into a wrestling moveset. You know, maybe you get some New Japan Strong Style because he is from Japan of like lariats getting back and forth. Uh, You get almost kind of like the finish of the match being like... A battle between, like, Kenny trying to get the one-winged angel and, like, Nishiki just trying to, like, fight out of it by just trying to punch Kenny. And at the end of it, you just... Kenny hits the one-winged angel. One, two, three. Beats Nishiki. I like that idea. Just because... Well... Just because Nishiki's pinned, it, it's not like it's really a big loss for him. Like, if you've just spent this whole story establishing him as kind of like a mafia-style boss taking over all of AEW and presenting this sort of, like, gang warfare that's probably been the biggest threat to, like, the Super Elite up to this point. I think that's quite fun. Plus, it establishes Kenny in kind of... If you wanted to, down the line, a little bit more of a babyface, it also kind of makes the whole... How do I put this? The Young Bucks and the Good Brothers seem more human. And by human, I mean, like, capable of taking a big loss in their current states, other than just being the super cocky heels that we're associating them with now. Because that's great and all, but you also need to show a degree of seriousness with that, which you kind of can have with a big gang warfare. I, I, I quite like that, as like a small little idea to just kind of, you know, boost your appetizers a bit. You know, and maybe Kenny in Kayfabe lives his real life fantasy of like being a Yakuza character as he's gradually dressing more like it. He's a fan of Yakuza. It's a fun little idea. So with that, we're going to move on to the final feud of this week. And, oh man, it's, this one was really hard for me to think of. And I was going to go with someone a little bit more lower down the card and that, you know, was a little bit more playing to the Yakuza 0. 
I feel like at this point, I've gone so far into using some of, like, Yakuza Kiwami. We, we may as well just stick with that trend and head to the final part in which Nishiki's going to be contending for what he's always been contending for in that whole story, and it's to be the head of the table. And he's got to face Roman Reigns, who just got some new entrance music at the time of this recording. My god, it's so much better. It fits him so well. Anyways, that's a tangent. But yeah, Roman Reigns, because if you're a character who's aiming to be a higher up in the Tojo clan, then eventually, as the story progresses, the patriarch and just the overall chairman, yeah, why wouldn't you go after a guy who could potentially threaten that in a type of storyline? Like, the tribal chief character is someone who's built on being the top member of the Samoan dynasty. We've seen it with him beating up Jey Uso, and that almost kind of abusive style relationship they've got there, in which now he's kind of just become loyal to it. And the whole other thing with The Rock being in Hollywood, it's a, it's a whole other thing, isn't it? So, why not bring that in to this? And also, because I... Part of me is just very curious to see what a Yakuza game would be like if you put Roman Reigns as the main character. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you know, like, Roman's got that kind of look. You know, he's got that very, like, grizzled look to him. That very grizzled, rugged handsomeness that kind of Kiryu has. I feel like you could just slot him right in there as, like, a main character in a Yakuza series, you know? I, I feel like you could do that with him. So, the way this story comes about is... Pretty much similar to Kenny's, really. It's basically your battle of who is the top dog of WWE. And Nishiki is here, kind of in a similar motivation. It's to kind of prove his loyalty to the Yakuza and establish himself as one of the top patriarchs in it. Because the Nishikiyama family, even from the beginning of Kiwami, was one that was an incredibly small family compared to the rest of the patriarchs. So... Nishiki enters WWE, and he he gets a bunch of, like, squash matches initially with guys who are, to put it simply, beneath him at this point. We're, we're looking at, like, uh, who's on SmackDown now? I'm, I'm trying to think who's... Uh, is Lucha House... No, Lucha House Party's on Raw. Uh, we're gonna say... Oh, no, I don't want to say it, but I have to say it. Chad Gable, or... Uh, you know, someone in a tag team, because WWE has a weird thing with tag teams where for some reason they can't win singles matches. Uh, Angelo Dawkins. There we go. Angelo Dawkins. That's a thing. Beats him in several seconds. You know, I'm going to say with a, a flying knee of sorts, because why not? You start establishing Nishikiyama as this kind of, like, boss. You, you know, once the match is over, uh, you see members of the Yakuza just sort of, like, take the guy away. Assumingly, you know, some of the stuff we've seen in the Kiwami games and just with Yakuza 0, probably torture (laughs) or some form of just beating the living S-word out of them. And at this point, Nishiki, he wants more competition. If he's not going to get more competition, he demands more money because money in Yakuza equals power and power equals further up that patriarchy. Da-da-da-da-da. So as that happens, we start to get a little bit more expansion on Nishikiyama. 
his whole, you know, desires and wants. You know, he says that he can pretty much be anyone on this roster because he's been through way harsher times than any other person here. They've they've all had to worry about just wrestling and making ends meet. I I had to lose people who were incredibly important to me. The only thing that they have lost is a substantial paycheck after I've kneed them in the face. <laughs> Something like that. Yeah, just imagine more threatening because just his whole arc has been him, I guess, trying to reaffirm, especially in like Kawami, that he wasn't useless and uh, he didn't want to let people down. And then the overall thing came to him not letting himself down. Like, as we discussed before, his whole motivation was love. And then when that love was taken away, all that was left was just hatred, which is just, you know, some would say the opposite of love. And a driving motivation for his character to become the best. Kind of similar to our tribal chief, who, you know, was desperately in real life and in kayfabe, trying to get over with the people, doing everything that he can, saying suffering, succotash, and all these other things. And then it all came crumbling down, and all that love turned into hatred. And sometimes, sometimes a little bit of both, with, like, Jey Uso being beaten up for several months. <laughs> and with it, well, we build to the point where eventually Nishiki... And Roman Reigns just have a stare down. There's no punches, there's no kicks. They're just trying to see who can out-intimidate each other. Roman Reigns holding up the Universal Championship. And Nishiki, he doesn't really say anything. He just kind of looks at him, looks at the belt. And then he just snaps his fingers. And we watch as several Yakuza men come out from the Thunderdome. Or at least, you know, from around it. And they essentially kidnap Jey Uso. <laughs> because, you know, you, you gotta give Roman a reason to go after him. <laughs> so, they essentially kidnap Jey Uso. They kidnap Paul Heyman. And Nishiki, he doesn't really hightail it, but he uses the distraction to kind of send a message to Roman. Essentially just like hitting a knee strike, hitting a power bomb, hitting lefts, rights, and roundhouse kicks. Essentially beating him to an edge of his life and Roman kind of just smiles at it. It's like, oh, you, you got me good. You got me good. But don't think this is over. Because they're kind of pretty similar characters at this point. If you really think about it from like tone and presentation, I'd say that Nishki's a little bit more of a tactician than Roman. Roman's more of the powerhouse. But... You do have some commonalities with them, in which I think they could kind of admire their own, you know, stature in where they are in their current point in their lives. Like, Nishiki, you have to assume, has done a degree of research when coming into pro wrestling, because, you know, he's part of a freaking patriarch in which he's had to make probably several businesses, as you see in Yakuza 0, with the whole real estate thing of, like, purchasing properties. It, it's like... That's a similar thing for, like, Yakuza going to, like, various places where they have to, like, you know, take their loans and try and get them back and collect. So in this case, he's trying to collect the Universal Championship. <laughs> and so, at this point, Roman is kind of on his own for a bit. And we get several, like, 
I want to say on-location promos from Nishiki at the Tojo Clan headquarters, essentially with a kidnapped Jey Uso. And, like, it, it's at that point in Kiwami, you know, right near the beginning, where, you know, they're all together. And, like, uh, uh, I think Sarah was still the chairman at the time. He was like, oh, what are you planning to do, Nishiki? And he's like, well... I'm just going to go get the 10 million, and I'm also going to re-establish myself as the best, because look who I've got here. I've got Jey Uso. I have potentially one of the biggest prizes in professional wrestling, incredibly high stock marketplace, mind you, in the palm of my hands. Just don't imagine him saying it, but just imagine the very, like, smug, evil, maniacal smile. And then as this happens... Yeah, we're gonna have Roman Reigns essentially just bust in. <laughs> because I I just have a feeling that as wacky and stupid as it would be to have Roman Reigns just, you know, charge in to the Tojo clan headquarters and just throw a guy into like the chairman office. I I kinda wanna see that. Like <laughs> The whole, like, series of backstage things of, like, Roman coming, maybe with, like, Seeker and Arthur by his side as, like, elders, essentially just threatening Nishki to give back his, give back his, give back his accomplice, Jey Uso, and it's just a stare down again, where Roman says just, like, you know, you can, you can call yourself a patriarch but you can never be a tribal chief <laughs> and it that's how you sell the big pay-per-view match it's nishki versus roman it's the battle of patriarch versus tribal chief both not willing to give an inch and both of them are such on high tensions with you know reigns want to reclaim jey uso and nishki trying to prove that he should be the chairman once sarah is dead <laughs> And it's just a very, I want to say back and forth affair with like, you know, I like the idea of both of them making their entrances because like Roman's now completely shirtless. He no longer wears that weird chest protector. And like Nishiki just, he just comes out in his suit, takes it off when he's ready to fight. I, I want like an almost like bare knuckle brawl. You know what I mean? Just like them fighting back each other, just like punching each other in the face. Maybe you get Nishki a little bit more bloody saying you call that a punch. And as he does, Roman smiles, hits a Superman punch. And like, Nishki hits the ropes, comes back and hits a lariat. You know, it's just like, the feud idea of like, kidnapping Jey Uso. And then having it resort into like, threats from like, the Tojo clan. And having, like, a feud between, like, the tribe and a group with Yakuza. It writes itself! <laughs> I want... Because, ah, oh, wrestling, wrestling can be so ridiculous. And, like, it just emphasizes it. Because that is really what Yakuza is, to an extent. It's, it's a series of, like, ridiculous events that are both serious and incredibly dramatic and sometimes even stupid. Which kind of ties into the world of wrestling <laughs> and I think you can go either way with it preferably I think you can go Roman because you know you got the whole thing with Nishiki and Kiryu down the line and Roman 
he doesn't really need the- Well, he does need the win to reassert the whole tribal chief thing. But you can have it where you can have Nishiki look strong by, like, kicking out of several spheres, having him pass out, but then, you know, still keeping a degree of power because it's probably been the toughest fight the Romans had. Because, let's face it, at WrestleMania, he got like a stacked pin, and so if you get one guy who's really close to beating Reigns, that's really good. <laughs> and it, it's a stupid idea, but I love it. I love the idea of Mafia versus Tribe, <laughs> Spears versus Guns, <laughs> Suits versus uh, Tribal Regalia. Is that a good way to describe it? I don't know, but <laughs> it's fun, it's stupid. And quite frankly, I'd love all of these storylines to an extent. Wow, we have indeed reached the end of this episode. Oh god, that was weird. To some extent, it was made easier because we had a moveset. And, you know, the nature of like the Yakuza games are kind of ridiculous. So it kind of plays into wrestling quite well. There was still some stuff where it's pretty chaotic, like tribal chief, <laughs> tribal chief, patriarch. Oh, they're gonna fight some stuff. I, I, I think it went, you know, as weird as it could go. And you know, let me know what you think, ladies and gentlemen, because at the end of the day, I can't decide if these are good. It's up to you guys. So. Please let me know on Twitter at Connor the Cooper, or please tell me on Instagram at Wrestling with Fiction. And if you're listening on, you know, Podchaser or Apple Podcasts, please leave a review. It helps out the show. It helps out me, and you know, it helps get more eyes on this weird, random, niche subjects that I'm doing. <laughs> oh God, why, why do I do this? <laughs> Why, why, why does my head think, hey, you know what Nishiki needs to be? He needs to wrestle somebody. <laughs> oh, God. Anyways, yeah, that was, I don't think it's the weirdest one of these I've done. I, I think there was some good stuff in there. I think the Young Bucks reunion was pretty fun. Gang warfare is always kind of a stupid yet fun, ridiculous plot. And you got... You know, to an extent, <laughs> making Roman Reigns carry you. <laughs> uh, despite that, uh, thank you all so much. If you're new to this podcast, if you've been listening for several episodes, thank you again for supporting this or even getting this far into the episode. It's always greatly appreciated. I could not be nearing 50 episodes of this if it wasn't for you guys continuing to listen, continuing to share the stuff that I do, and, you know, putting up with me trying to see if the Among Us character can work in the wrestling business, or the Pokemon trainer, and other, other weird stuff. So, once again, thank you all so much for listening, and I'm gonna end it here. So, with that all said and done, I hope all of you have a lovely day. And remember everyone, wrestling could always use just a little bit more fiction. See you all. Good night, everybody.